the church. Maybe you're, uh, you've never seen a baptistry before, uh, full of water, wondering what on earth this is. Uh, maybe you're used to infant baptism or some other mode of baptism, perhaps sprinkling, uh, aspersion. Uh, well, we do it, as a Reformed Baptist, I'm going to say we do it the proper way. We, we do it authentically. Um, the Greek word baptizo, from where baptism comes from, means to immerse, literally means to immerse in water. And that's the kind of baptism we're going to see today when we look at Acts chapter 8 and this baptism of this Ethiopian. The sermon this morning is entitled God's Inclusiveness. God's Inclusiveness. We hear a lot about inclusivity, don't we, these days? In our dealings with with authority, in in the PC world, in, in our workplaces, inclusiveness. Well, God is inclusive, but he's intentionally inclusive. Not in the same way that we hear of it often, but he is including people from every nation, tribe and tongue to his kingdom for a purpose, for the glory of his name and for the fame of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he brings people into the kingdom. He doesn't do it firstly and foremostly for our benefit. We benefit, but first and foremost, God's purpose is for a display of his glory. God's people display his glory. And that's what we're going to hear this morning when we hear testimonies and see visibly through the, uh, through the ordinance of baptism. In our Revelation series we've been doing uh, in recent weeks, we've been asking the question whether we are ready for the return of the King. Are we ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready? Do you even know him as king this morning? He is the king of kings. He is the high king and the high priest over all. Have you been baptised and included into his kingdom? His irresistible kingdom, which he ushered in with his first coming and his work at the cross, and his resurrection glory. And that kingdom continues to grow today, as we'll see as Mercy and Duane are added to the number here at Friance. And his kingdom will be fully consummated when he returns. That, friends, is our ultimate destination and reality. The question is, are we going to be included in his kingdom? When he comes, will he recognize you and me as his faithful brother or sister? So this morning we're going to look at three aspects of this new reality, this uh, inclusiveness of God. Uh, We're going to consider who it is who can gain access to this wondrous new kingdom. How is it that we enter and why is God's kingdom unlike any other? Who, how, and why this morning? As Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, he said that he does not give as the world gives. 
So it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that his inclusiveness is different from the world's inclusiveness. The world's pluralism that doesn't really, isn't really concerned about how you're saved. It just wants a one-size-fits-all, let's get along and be nice without examining the core problem that we face. So why don't we, as we explore this, why don't we turn to Acts chapter 8 and read from verse 26. I'm reading this morning from the New International Version. That's our uh, church translation. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Uh, If you know anything about the the book of Acts, you'll know that uh, this is after Pentecost. The churches started going out to the nations, and this is a demonstration of that now as uh, Philip the Evangelist encounters an Ethiopian eunuch on uh, the road south to Gaza from Jerusalem. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God bless his word to us this day with understanding and that it may help us in our daily lives. Firstly, who? Who then can be baptised? Who then can be saved? When we consider the law of God and how the law speaks to us on a deep level as human beings, convicts us of our 
of our sin, our wrongdoing, our wrong attitudes. As Jesus himself explained the law, we are, all of us, guilty of breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. So who can be baptized? Well, the good news is that anyone can be baptized. If the Ethiopian eunuch can be baptized, then anyone, friends, can be baptized. This man was unable to participate in the temple cult in Jerusalem. We're told that he's just come from Jerusalem, but he wasn't able, uh, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but as a eunuch, as an Ethiopian, a non-Jew, he wasn't able to participate in the temple cult. He was an emasculated Gentile. Uh, a man who was no longer considered a man by the Jews due to his being castrated. And so there was perhaps heavy feelings of frustration or perhaps even despair as he headed south on his way home from Jerusalem. And then he meets Philip, someone who can explain the scriptures to him, someone who can introduce him to Jesus, the one whom this very scripture that he's reading is all about. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant of God, the one who would lay his life down for his people. Friends, if this Ethiopian eunuch can be baptized, then anyone can be baptized if the Lord grants them new life in Christ. And that's a big if, friends. You will know if the Lord Jesus has gifted you new life in him. The reality of the Christian faith is that Jesus calls sinners to repent of their sin and to come to him for forgiveness. You see, it's only by his blood shed at the cross of Calvary that any of us could be saved. Isaiah, the horrors of Isaiah 53 and the gospel accounts of Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion, then they're not just there as, as gory details, they're there as a, a, a revelation of what was necessary for us to be saved. This was made plain to the Ethiopian by Philip, who explains the scriptures to him and how they are all about Jesus, as it says in verse 35. When Philip met the Ethiopian, there was no New Testament. Uh, what would make up the New Testament, the teaching of Christ and the letters of the apostles, these things were about to start being written. They would be compiled over the the coming decades as the eyewitnesses were getting older and they wanted to reach more people and they wanted to make sure the testimony was handed on down to the generations to come. And so the Ethiopian is reading the Old Testament. He's reading the, the prophets. And it's to the prophets that Philip goes to explain the coming Messiah, the coming Christ and his identity. I was reminded this week of the wonder of the Old Testament story of Jacob, which you find uh, in, in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 27, it tells us about how uh, Jacob 
who, who was not the firstborn son, but he gained through trickery the blessing of his father, Isaac. And he did that by putting on his brother's coat, which had a favorable smell. Actually, if you know the story, it probably wasn't a favorable smell. It was probably a sl- uh, quite a horrendous smell. The kind of smell that I smell when I go in, in Harry's bedroom. He's not here to defend himself. My bedroom used to smell far worse. Um, it had a favorable smell in the sense that his father would recognize that smell and would recognize it to be the smell of Esau, Jacob's brother, his elder brother. And so through trickery, Jacob gains the favor of his father by impersonating his elder brother. And John Calvin comments as follows. He says, In a similar manner, we hide under the precious purity of our firstborn brother, Christ, so that we might be attested righteous in God's sight. And this is indeed the truth. For in order that we may appear before God's face unto salvation, we must smell sweetly with his odour, and our vices must be covered and buried by his perfection. Friends, if you think there's no gospel in the Old Testament, think again. The gospel is there throughout the Old Testament. Philip the evangelist can preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch with the Old Testament. Amen? That's Jesus' hermeneutic. That's what Jesus taught. That's what his apostles teach. And it's what we, by the grace of God, teach. So friends, it is those who now know who Jesus is, like the Ethiopian eunuch from Scripture. It's those who have had it explained to them, the need for our redemption from sin, that our odour is not a pleasant odour to God. There's only Christ who goes ahead of us, who qualifies us through his righteousness through his beauty and his perfection before holy God. We need to explain to us the need for our redemption from sin, all our wrongdoing, which we could never in a thousand lifetimes scrub away. We can possess the righteousness of another the compassionate and generous mercy of God who gave his son to save sinners. Please, come on in. You're very welcome. question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus as your saviour? Do you see Jesus on every page of scripture? Either like with the story of Jacob, a very clear demonstration of the gospel, or echoes of the grace of God, which is yours in Christ? Do you know his forgiveness for your wrongdoing? The problem with the world's inclusivity is it takes no account, takes very little account of our wrongdoing. 
It tells us that we're all winners despite whatever we've done. But the reality is, if we know Christ, if we're honest with ourselves, then we know that we're far from perfect. We know that we don't deserve to be included. But by the grace of God, he sends his son. This is what we're concerned with this morning. So who can be baptised? Anyone can be baptised if they encounter Christ as their Lord and Saviour. How then are we baptised? By immersion in water. As I've said already, the Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse in, in the water. Since the first century, the word baptise has come to include various different methods of baptism. And in our text this morning, in Acts 8, we see once again, in the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch, as with Jesus' own baptism by his cousin, John the Baptist, that this Ethiopian is baptised by immersion. We're told clearly in Scripture, in verse 38, that they went down into the water. And we see that Philip baptised the eunuch by immersing him in the water. Because in verse 39 it tells us that they came up out of the water. Friends, this is the biblical pattern and the method, as you can see here at the front, that we practice here at Friends Baptist Church. Some people think, oh, you know, I've, I've already been baptised, you know, the Bible says there's only one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, so I can't get baptised again. Well, that one baptism that it's talking about in Scripture is not, is not what we're doing here today. The one baptism for the forgiveness of sins is the spiritual baptism that Christ does to you. Baptism by fire. And the Holy Spirit comes and makes you new. You're born again. That's the baptism which alone saves. This rite that we're doing today is, is a sign. It's a confirmation. It's a recognition of God working that miracle in your life, Mercy, and your life, Dwayne. So if you're convicted this morning about baptism, don't be fearful of coming through the waters. Be excited, maybe, that God might have an opportunity for you to share with others his grace, his mercy to you, his transforming power. We are baptised on profession of faith. Now, as we look at this story of the Ethiopian eunuch, you might be thinking, Pastor Ben, where's the profession of faith? Where's the testimony from this Ethiopian eunuch. It is perhaps lacking at first glance in the text, but we can understand the following things. Firstly, the Ethiopian was reading Scripture. As I've said already, he was reading Isaiah 53, which is perhaps the clearest prophecy of the sacrificial work of the Messiah to redeem his people. Then we're clearly told that Philip, Philip beginning with this Scripture... Isaiah 53 tells the Ethiopian the good news about Jesus. Friends, praise God. 
this Ethiopian who's, who's been marginalized by the religious system in Jerusalem is now being included by the grace of God through the words of Philip the Evangelist as he shares the good news of Jesus Christ with him. It is after this, after he hears and receives the gospel, that this Ethiopian then puts two and two together. As they travel along, he sees some water. With conviction, with hope in his heart, he says, what prevents me from being baptized? There's plenty that prevented him from going to the temple, from making an offering. But now he's heard the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's now realized that God can love and forgive anyone. And he can forgive you, whatever you've done, dear friend. And so he sees water and he requests baptism. And finally, perhaps a great indication of this new life that this Ethiopian has received Following his baptism, what does it say about the Ethiopian? He goes on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. His heart is full of joy. He's overflowing with gladness for what God has done for him that day in the wilderness. Praise God. This man's life has been transformed by understanding the gospel of Christ by having his sin forgiven and by identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection through the act of baptism. Praise God. Praise God. I wonder this morning, has your life been impacted by Jesus to this extent? On your way here this morning, were you rejoicing already at the thought of what you're going to witness just at the thought of gathering with saints. I think some of you, it's your first time here with us this morning. Perhaps you're a, you had a little bit of you know, anticipation, apprehension. What's that church going to be like? Well, if you're a friend of Mercy's or Dwayne, I hope that they've already sold you. <laughs> I hope they've already uh, won you over with their testimony of, of the family here at Freehan's. Uh, each of you is very welcome here with us today. And uh, uh, there'll be a chance at the close of the service for, for you to enjoy a coffee or a tea, maybe a, maybe a biscuit or even possibly a cake, uh, if you would like to. I emphasize if you would like to, because I know some people are uh, very cautious still with COVID. Uh, there's no obligation to stay, but you are very welcome if you would like to stay and celebrate with your friends Celebrate with us. So has your life been impacted by Jesus to this extent, the extent we see this Ethiopian praising and rejoicing? We're going to be blessed in just a while uh, to hear Mercy and Dwayne's testimonies as they give glory to their Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you have a story to tell? of God's goodness and his grace to you? Or perhaps if you don't, would you like one? Because he's a God of wonders. 
He's a God who does great things. He's a God who turns people's lives around. That's our experience. If you're not a Christian here this morning, why not find out more by talking with the friend who brought you along or by asking uh, to join a Christianity Explored course to understand the core of the Christian message and faith. Just as Philip the Evangelist explained the scriptures, introduced Jesus, so we do that. That's our job to do as well. We'd love to do it with you. Why get baptised? Why does God express his inclusivity in this way, by calling sinners to repentance? When we get baptised, it's an act of obedience. Obedience to Christ's command. Jesus in the Gospel says, repent and believe. He also says, you must be born again. As uh, Brother Steve Morley reminded us just on uh, Wednesday night this week. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said to Nathaniel. Jesus taught that baptism by the Holy Spirit is what counts. And so the Christian act of baptism is about repentance, like John's baptism, but it's also a sign that we've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why we ask those who are being baptised to share their testimony. It's a testimony to the grace and mercy of God to the person being baptised. That they have received the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit is now indwelling them and helping them, empowering them to live a new life for Jesus. Jesus' apostles saw this great significance of baptism. That's what they, when they saw the act of baptism, John's baptism, and then, and then Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, when we go in the water, the, the person being baptized dies to their sin, symbolically. As they come out of the water, they rise to new life in Christ. The apostles saw that significance And so Peter, at the climax of his sermon at Pentecost, he instructs the hearers to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls, to himself, everyone who the Lord himself includes in this new kingdom of his, unlike any other. Friends, the scriptures reveal the glory of God, a God who saves sinners in order that they are set free to live no longer selfish and greedy lives for themselves, fearful of the light of Christ, but now they live new lives, generously serving Christ and other human beings. The Ethiopian eunuch, we're told, in the text today, 
this Ethiopian eunuch, was in charge of all Queen Candace's treasure. Verse 27. This Ethiopian eunuch was exchanging one set of treasure for another set of treasure that would last for all eternity. The reason such officials were castrated was to pacify them and prevent temptation and corruption. You see, people back in the ancient times, they knew of the, how endemic sin was, right? The people who, who ruled the roost, the people in charge of kingdoms, they wanted people who weren't going to run off with their riches, who weren't going to stitch them up at every opportunity. So that's why they used to use such horrendous means, such as castration, to pacify and prevent this corruption. But as a newly baptized believer in Christ, this man was now truly free from such corruption. And having a new identity in Jesus, his emasculation was also healed in the sense that a person's virility or fertility is not required to be a full member of the Church of Christ. Amen? Whatever physical defect, whatever problem you may have, that is not an obstacle to your inclusion in the kingdom of God. If Christ becomes your saviour, if he becomes your Lord, if he gives you the gift of faith to trust in him and his finished work at the cross, then however you come is how God wants you, dear friend. The call has gone out to come and be a full member of Christ's church. Here on the road to Gaza, the Ethiopian eunuch has a life-changing encounter with a servant of Christ in the wilderness. Having been unable to participate in the temple cult in Jerusalem due to his being an emasculated Gentile, gloomily having been sidelined, this man now rejoices He's rejoicing after this encounter. Notice that. It doesn't tell us that having had a wonderful spiritual experience at the temple, he's rejoicing on his way from Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us that. It tells us that after having gone to the center of the Jewish religion, he's on his way home, he's looking at scripture, and he still doesn't understand what it means. The religious people in Jerusalem have failed this man. But by the grace of God, he encounters the gospel of the living Christ on the road to Gaza. He now rejoices, understanding the true meaning of God's word and having experienced God's promise to him, fulfilled in Jesus. Dear friends, the baptism of this Ethiopian was for the glory of Christ and the expansion of his kingdom into Africa. Now he wasn't the first African to be saved or to take the gospel into Africa because as we're told in Acts chapter 2, Egyptians and Libyans were also present at Pentecost. And the gospel preaching by the apostle Peter brought 3,000 into the fold that day. So we know that God is already at work. 
And now he includes this Ethiopian most wonderfully into the fold of God. Friend, if you're a Christian here this morning, have you given Christ the glory for saving you by being baptised and in the public profession of your faith? In what ways has Jesus transformed your life? Isn't that a story worth telling? Why don't we bow our heads in prayer?